You're listening to Spotlight on Broadway Radio. I'm your host, Jenna Tessa Fox. With me today is David Stoller, who is directing a new adaptation of George Bernard Shaw's Mrs. Warren's Profession for Gingold Theatrical Group, now running at Theatre Row. Shaw's comedy was first written in 1893, but wasn't produced until 1902, when it had to be performed in a private theatrical club. When it finally arrived in New York City in 1905, the cast and the crew were arrested. The play had such a tumultuous production history because while the word itself is never spoken, it deals rather bluntly with prostitution and brothels and with the role of both poor and wealthy women in society. So David Stoller is joining us today to talk about this new production and to share some insights into why Mrs. Warren's profession is still relevant after almost 130 years since it was first written. David, thank you very, very much for joining me. Oh, it's lovely to be with you. I wish I could see everybody who's listening. Wouldn't that be fun? It would. That would be well, it would make podcasts very different if we could see the entire audience. <laughs> yes, it certainly would. Well, if you all come to the show, make sure you introduce yourselves to me. I'm the tall, haggard-looking, bearded man that will be standing by the door before every performance. Wonderful. This is profession. You know, the, the most incendiary element of the play that caused all the furor was not about prostitution or brothels. Uh, the theater was jam-packed full of stories about prostitutes like Traviata, Lady of the Camellias. The difference is that all of those women by the end of the play, were on their knees begging for forgiveness or dying a horrible, wasting death. They had to be punished. Mm-hmm. And in Shaw's play, here's a woman who explains that she's done everything she possibly can, coming from dirt poor nothing, to try to create a life for herself. And because, especially at the time, women had no legal rights at all. And women are still fighting for equal rights. And that's one of the reasons it's still relevant. But the idea of a woman creating a life for herself successfully, she becomes this multimillionaire owner of a chain of what's called uh, high-class hotels. Which mm-hmm. are and she, she excels. And when asked if she's ashamed of it, she basically says absolutely not until the world has changed until men are willing to accept that women are equals dealing at a time in the world in Shaw's world where women really were the most disenfranchised members of society the world you know the British empire was ruled by a patriarchal British empire white entitled rich aristocrats and she basically said no you can all screw yourself Until you change the world, I'm going to live the life I like without apology. And that's that. And that basically is how the curtain came down. So it wasn't about the prostitution. It was about the men being so infuriated that they might lose control that (laughs) it created this furor in the press here in New York City. And the police... We're all standing in the back of the theater having a great time at the show and waited until the curtain call. And then, of course, there were photographers, there were paparazzi, there were people standing and screaming and the entire cast was arrested. 
And the judge basically just laughed and said, no, you can all go home. And of course, the rest of the run was completely sold out. The tour was completely sold out. But what Shaw accomplished was to kind of start a revolution through his activism, through his art, that women were being given permission to challenge what they were being told. And as a result, everybody was, men, women, everybody, were being reminded that it's our responsibility to question everything, to ask our own questions, to provide our own answers, to question everything we're being told is right or wrong, and not let anyone define for us who we are or want to be, whatever that may be, and to try to be the most contributive members of society that we can and to help those who can. <laughs> How's that for a nutshell? That's quite a nutshell. So <laughs> why would you say October 2021 is the right time to revive Mrs. Warren's profession of all of Shaw's plays? Well, how kind of you to ask. I happen to have an answer. We just come through four tumultuous political years where people were being told that it's okay to victimize. And then this little thing called the pandemic hit the world. And we all kind of went into hiding. And this play is very much about six characters, two women and four men, who have come to a moment in their each, each of their lives where they're being challenged about who they are and how to step into the future. And in a way, kind of reinventing what modern English drama actually was, Shaw wrote a completely modern play with deep psychological examinations that's laugh out loud funny about six people who could not ask these questions and move forward without the other five. And as we're all emerging from hibernation, as we're all re-emerging into the world and trying to figure out who we are, what is our future? Am I satisfied with what my life has been? How do I want to change it? What do I have to do to do that? What or who is standing in my way? That is really what the play is about. And when I discussed it with our team here at Gingold Theatrical Group and our board, they all got very excited. Uh, it's a play that hasn't been seen, aside from our readings of it, uh, as part of our Project Shaw series. It hasn't been seen in New York in about 12 years. And the idea of reminding us all how important we all are as our cog in the world. And to remind us that this is it. I mean, if there's such a thing as reincarnation, great. But who knows? So as far as we know, this is our life. And if we don't make the most of it, then, well, you know, I mean, this is it. So what we're finding with our cast and our design team and our audiences is that people are really responding to as you say, what Shaw wrote in 1893, people are saying, well, why did you update it? I haven't changed anything. The idea of, the idea of 
this woman in particular, Mrs. Warren, Kitty Warren, speaking so frankly about what she's had to go through in her life and how unwilling she is to apologize for it is really very potent for all of us. And I find myself watching it every night and being tremendously moved. But then we have a most amazing cast. We have Karen Ziemba, Tony Award-winning Karen Ziemba, as Kitty Warren. Nicole King plays her daughter. Robert Cuccioli, Broadway favorite, plays the epitome of the entitled British aristocrat. David Lee Huynh plays very roguish, rascally Frank Gardner. Alvin Keith plays another entitled character, but who is much more part of the world, prayed. Raphael Nash Thompson plays Reverend Samuel Gardner. What was fun about Shaw creating this reverend is that, uh, I know I'm just babbling on, you know, just throw a pie in my face when you're ready for me to stop, uh, is that he took six truly cliche archetypal characters that would have been seen in any number of Victorian plays at the time. And then he completely subverts them so that the daughter, the, the ingenue, is not only not your typical ribbon-wearing girly girl, but she is a ball buster. She's just gone to Cambridge and she's won mathematical awards and she's basically saying... I don't need a man in my life to make me feel complete. I want to go to work. I want to be completely independent. Nothing had ever been seen like that on a stage before. The reverend, you know, usually, you know, the Church of England and the government of England, there was no separation of church and state. So the reverend was representing the government. And we find out that he had been a drunken party boy in his youth and was basically the worst reverend that has ever existed on the planet. So Shaw was having fun with us and reminding us, don't assume, <laughs> never assume. Now, you said you didn't change anything, but you did mention in the program about using five different texts in order to create this final script that the production is using. Can oh, we so talk how, a bit? No? You've done your research. How dare you? Yes, yes. I, if you, if you could see me, I'd be showing you. I have this photocopy of Shaw's original handwritten manuscript, went through word by word, even looking at the bits he had crossed out. And I have four different published versions. And I felt it was a great opportunity to go through all of Shaw's artistic and psychological examinations of his play. I mean, he lived to be 94. And he kept rewriting everything to keep them in copyright. But also, you know, think of who you were when you were 20. For all I know, you're 22. But think of who you were when you were 18. And imagine that you don't look at the world quite the same way now. So he changed things. But I wanted to create a script for our cast that seemed the most powerful and streamlined version of the story he wanted to tell. And then when I was last in London, I met with some friends who actually owned, they bought it in an auction, owned his notes for a proposed screenplay he was writing. So oh, wow. that gave me an idea for some of our scene transitions and 
some of the, you know, I didn't have to cut much. It's an hour 40 with no interval. It's a blissfully streamlined play, uh, as opposed to things like his Back to Methuselah, which is nine hours, which we're not planning on doing anytime soon. So sometimes it was just the changing of a word. Sometimes it was adding a line or two, cutting repetitions. Uh, in those days, there were four acts or four scenes. And between each one in those days, the curtain would come down and the audience would all stagger out into the lobby and get drunk and talk and chat. And so when they came back and the curtain went back up, Shell would start repeating things to remind them of where we were when we last left off. So we just cut all that stuff. So is that um, all that wound up on the cutting room floor? Pretty much. Um, some things that he had written in 1893 that he changed by 1912, which is pretty much the version that we're using. And I thought it would be wise to use that version as opposed to the version he wrote in the 1920s or 30s, because by then, women's rights had changed. By World War I, women were much more vital, integral part of the socio-political landscape. Excellent. And... How do you feel that through all the different adaptations and all the variations and versions of the play, how do you feel it's held, uh, it's aged or held up in, you know, almost 130 years since it was first written? Oh, you know, I long for the day when Shaw is no longer relevant. It's so annoying that I doubt that will happen in my lifetime. But the play feels like a brand new play. And after every performance, people write me or call me or stop me in the lobby and absolutely insist that I've changed it, that I've updated it, that I've included things they've read in a New Yorker interview or in the Washington Post. And really and truly, the struggle for human rights and free speech is still going on. The struggle against censorship in the arts is very much still present in our society. And so the issues that we're dealing with are still relevant, but the most important part of the play to me is a plot device that Shaw used a lot, like in Pygmalion with Henry Higgins, the danger of sublimating our emotional life into our work or hiding from our own humanity. And that's something else that all these characters are dealing with, the idea of having the courage to face who we truly are without the mask, without the persona. And only then can we truly, after we connect to ourselves, he, the, the proposal is that only then can we really connect to another human being. Mm. It's deeply romantic. And I think important in life. And what do you think? I, uh, it sounds right, about right to me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was wondering with, you know, it's been four years now since the quote unquote Me Too era has begun. And, you know, new ways of looking at sex workers, new ways of looking at women in the workplace and women's rights in the workplace. And, you know, new expectations of women to not be assaulted while in the workplace. 
all of these things coming together within a very short time frame, did that have any impact on this production? Oh, sure. Yeah. How so? Well, I think even in subliminal ways, um, I, I think it's impossible to ignore the importance of any sociopolitical movement in which the focus is a struggle for human rights and free speech, that all of us have been disenfranchised in some way in the world. And nobody gets to play the card of, I get to be more disenfranchised than you. There's no pie to get a bigger piece of. I think the struggle is for us to remember that we all deserve to be seen and heard and respected. And that our our beliefs and our the, the elements of our life that we stand for deserve to be honored as long as no one's getting hurt. And that's very much why Shaw started writing plays. All of his plays deal with the struggle for human rights, for women's rights, Mm -hmm. men's rights, gay rights, children's rights, animal rights. He went to Parliament several times to try to get laws changed to protect animals from science and the Industrial Revolution and abuse. he spoke out on behalf of, he spoke out against the laws criminalizing homosexuality before he was a celebrity. In 1888, he was being published at a time when he could have been thrown in jail for it. It's, it's, he had tried pretty much everything in life by the time he became a playwright, including he was a politician. He marched for all causes. He was a politician. He, was a critic. He redefined what being an arts critic is for music, for literature, for theater. And he finally became a playwright because he gave up trying to convince all of his uh, peers, his colleagues, to try to write English versions of Ibsen and Chekhov. So that's why he wrote this play. The idea of, of creating comedies, all 65 plays, He's even St. Joan, before they light the match, poor thing, is a very entertaining, funny, ironic play. Uh, The idea of all of these plays meant to entertain us while we question our own existence. And with a play like Mrs. Warren's Profession, by the way, profession in the title does not mean prostitution. The The word profession in the title with Mrs. Warren in front of it was meant to provoke interest because it was a woman having one. Sure. I remember reading that years ago that the idea of Mrs. and profession in the same sentence was considered shocking at the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So getting back to your question about sex workers, you know, if Shaw wanted to write a play about prostitutes, he would have. That's really not the point. The idea is that at that time, as now, the, the, in this country, the, the idea of a woman going into prostitution pretty much seems like the lowest degradation anyone could possibly imagine. And imagine how horrible it was then. The idea of the, the disease for which there was no medication or treatment, the abuse, the... Uh, the violence and the idea that here was this character that 
truly tried everything she could and was being abused horribly by mm. society and by men until finally she finds a way out. And what Shaw was telling us was that imagine we're living in a society where we are forcing women to choose this profession that no one would approve of is the only way out of the world we've created for her. And in, in the play, she insists that the women that are working for her are well-treated and some of them have done very well. Well, that could start a whole debate in itself. The point mm-hmm. is, it's, it's not the play he wanted to write. He wanted to write a play about the injustice of the world and that we are all culpable. We are all responsible. And we all have to take responsibility for creating a world where people are being subjugated in any way, that no one has the right to do that to you or to me or to anyone. Now, you bring up a really interesting point, and this is something I have always wondered about Mrs. Warren's profession, that Vivi, as a proper Victorian young woman of her era, is outraged when she learns her mother's business is still going on. This is not all in the past. Yeah. And what she never calls her mother out on is that Mrs. Warren went into her business because she wanted to keep the money she earned. She didn't want to work herself to death for someone else to become rich, which is a theme running through much of uh, of Shaw's, uh, Shaw's oeuvre. Uh, why is it never? Why does she never point out? Do you think that Mrs. Warren is doing to other women what she didn't want done to her by the very act of being a madam? Well, in in the story that's being told by Kitty Warren, Mrs. Warren, is that she's trying to save girls from having to go through what she went through by you- starting this business. And treating them well. But yes, of course, that's a subject worth debating. Uh, And it's really about the moral compass of what we consider right or wrong, which is, as you say, such an important part of so many of Shaw's plays, like his first play, Widower's Houses, which we've done, and Major Barber, which we've done, Mm -hmm. is what, how much are you willing to give up your own comfort and security for what you believe in? The ongoing question today, people being asked to step back from their positions of power so somebody else can rise up into it. Yeah, I I confess I don't don't see that so much. Not in this play specifically, but it's an ongoing uh, discussion I hear regularly. Yeah, I think stepping back from your job to give someone else a chance is not so much about a moral compass, but about the political climate at the moment, Mm. I think. People who are qualified and are, are contributing in a wonderful professional way shouldn't have to step aside just because someone else wants their job. But in this case, it's, it's more about the, it's, it's like if you have a stock portfolio, if you have an investment company making investments for you, and if you claim to be against global warming, but in your portfolio, you have all the petroleum companies sending you checks. All right, well, then you are culpable. 
And it's amazing how we often are. If you are regularly purchasing, purchasing products or items that might be made in China by children's slave labor, and you find out about it, but it's cheaper than going to the local store, and you keep buying those products knowing what's behind it, mm-hmm. what is your moral compass? It's the element of every day in our life. What, what are we willing to be aware of? What are we willing to take responsibility for? So for Vivi, the daughter, questioning the mother's ongoing business, it's, it's the all-encompassing element of if, if you explain that you pulled yourself out of horrible, horrible poverty to be able to create independence and respect for yourself, and you've accomplished it, and if the business has stopped, then okay, she's willing to forgive her mom. But when she finds out that not only is it still going on, but it's expanding and doing better than ever, then yeah, part of the argument, of course, is who's being used for this? Mm-hmm. Who's being used? The, the daughter does yell at the, the guy, Sir George Crofts, the aristocrats, that's the business partner of Mrs. Warren, to accuse him of how horrible nine out of ten young girls would be in the grip of their power. And that she says, this is, I'm, I'm finding this so objectionable. You're, you're boasting about how much money you're making off, off these poor, innocent women. So when she confronts her mother after finding this out, that's all part of it. It, it is in the play, actually. I hadn't thought about that. I had always thought her outrage would be the hypocrisy rather than uh, the morality that won't even let her say the words out loud. She has to write it down. That's fascinating. That's I hadn't thought of it from that angle. Uh, yeah, it's it's in there. It um, is. You're right. I hadn't thought of it from that. Uh, so, switching uh, tracks a little bit, uh, I you'd mentioned the cast. Uh, you cast two actors who are known primarily for their work in musicals, Karen Ziemba, Robert Cuccioli. Can you talk about what went into casting the show and why some actors who are famous for their musical work were right for these roles? Well, I've worked with them both many times. Uh, Bob Cuccioli played Caesar for us in our last production of Shaw's Caesar and Cleopatra, and he was brilliant. And Karen was as a scione a few years ago in our production of Heartbreak House. They both worked for me many times in both Shaw plays and other non-musical plays. I think that many actors who are, are known for musicals are, are not given their due as being brilliant actors. And I, pisses me off. I wanted to cast the best people I could for the roles. And I'm so proud and grateful that they accepted. Uh, it's, it's interesting, though, I find very often that actors who do excel, who can act beautifully in musical theater, often find this very difficult-to-define base of reality in Shaw world easier than many actors who don't, because it's not hard for them to suddenly transition from speaking into singing 
without it seeming like a strange leap of faith. And Shaw's plays demand a kind of focus and technique unlike any other playwrights. It helps if you've done Shakespeare. But it the to define what the world is and to live within that language and to be able to act on the line, not as most actors in America are trained to think first and then speak. It's, it's incredibly complicated. And the actors do exercises before every performance, breathing and tongue twisters. Uh, they have signs up around their dressing room reminding them to breathe when they're off stage. <laughs> And so someone who has had to maintain major singing roles, uh, they have that. They know it. It's a part of them. But Cuccioli and Ziemba are, are brilliant actors. They just happen to have had most of their career success doing musicals. But how lucky for me and for everyone who's seeing the show that they get to see them doing this. I actually decided I would have Karen Ziemba dancing at one point in the show, there's a strange transition in the play where suddenly the young man approaches Mrs. Warren and sort of a checking each other out flirtation before Mrs. Warren actually kisses him. And it occurred to me how wonderful it would be if there was a gramophone playing inside the house and she's sort of pretending to dance with herself and he comes in, and so you actually do get to see Karen doing a little dancing. Always a treat to watch Karen Ziemba dance. She is fantastic. She sure is. So beyond directing this production, you're also the artistic director of Gingold Theatrical Group. Can you tell me a little bit about the group and its mission and why it focuses, I think, exclusively on Shaw? It does not. Not not exclu- predominantly, then. Mostly, some it, to some extent. It is not a company devoted to presenting Shaw plays. It is a company devoted to presenting work that embraces human rights and free speech. Well, largely the same thing then. Uh, yeah, we just use Shavian precepts as our guide. Uh, it's our 16th year, and we're devoted to creating theater and theater-related programs that basically promote the humanitarian ideals that are central to the work of George Bernard Shaw, who was really the first truly activist playwright in the English language. But we developed new plays. We have had for many years a new play development program. We were hoping this year we'd be able to present one of them. Hopefully next year we'll be doing uh, a new play. Um, We have three educational programs, two high schools and one middle school that are not theater programs. They're ethics humanities, where the kids get to explore their own sociopolitical viewpoints through Shavian ideals. And then they each write their own little play, and I bring in professional actors to act them. Uh, We have outreach programs. We have stage readings where we do not only Shaw, but uh, other playwrights who are theater activists, uh, especially women playwrights. And we began, I was actually acting in a production of Mrs. Warren's profession as the role of Parade, opposite Dana Ivey at the Irish Rep in 2005. And it was during the Bush administration, which after Trump really seemed, feels like the good old days, but it was 
it was alarming to me that journalists were being fired for speaking out against that administration. And that basic human rights, especially women's rights, were being challenged as they are now. And I decided I would start a, a reading series of plays to provoke peaceful discussion and activism. And I was reminded that that's what all of Shaw's plays are about. So we started doing readings of Shaw plays. And I couldn't get any of my friends who have theater companies to let me present it in their company. They all said it was too ambitious. It was too much, too much work. So I said, fine, to hell with it. I'll start my own company. And I got some friends together. And that was 16 years ago. And it, I named it for my godmother, uh, an eccentric late British actress named Hermione Gingle. And she knew and revered, worshipped Shaw and his work and introduced me to his work when I was 10. And we would have readings of his plays and discuss them in her sitting room. And it just, I was on the phone with the New York State and they said, what are you going to call the company? And I knew that if I started a company, I didn't want it to be just Shaw. So I thought, well... Who knows, this company will last six months or a year. I'll name it for Hermione Gingle. <laughs> that was 16 years ago. 16 uh, years later, still going strong. Yes. And we're still building and we're still trying to figure it out. And it's been, it's been so gratifying to be able to collaborate, to share it with people that I love and care about and who who want to join me in just trying to provide some clarity in a confused world. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, especially into this piece that is so timely and so relevant today. Uh, Mrs. Warren's profession opens on October 27th. Uh, it runs through November 20th at Theatre Row on 42nd Street. Tickets are available at gingoldgroup.org. And David, or thank at you. the Theatre Row box office. Or at the Theatre Row box office, that too. Wonderful. Uh, David Stoller, thank you once again for coming by and for talking about this new production. And congratulations on the opening. <laughs>